I read from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 23 through 30. John also was baptized at Anon near Salim because water was abundant there and people kept coming and were being baptized. John, of course, had not yet been thrown into prison. Now, a discussion about purification arose between John's disciples and a Jew. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the one who was with you across the Jordan to whom you testified, here he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, no one can receive, receive anything except what has been given from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Next week is Christmas Eve. Did the stress level just go up when I said that? I think this is the shortest Advent possible. Um, we, <laughs> ready or not, Jesus is coming. <laughs> Every Advent, the scriptures um, kind of boil down certain spirituality that is applicable throughout the Christian year, but we distill it in Advent to catch our attention, to get it. The hope is that we get it enough to keep living that Advent spirituality throughout the year. The spirituality is this. God is coming into our lives, not just at Christmas. God is coming into our lives. Pay attention. Stay awake. Be attentive. Have holy expectation that God is about to do something. And God sends prophets that shake us up. They shake us out of our normal routines. They take the lapels of our spirit and shake us awake. And the scriptures that we read, that Katie read today from the Gospel of John, and the other Gospels as well, often point to John the baptizer who is the one that's preparing the way for Jesus, who is a prophet, who shakes people by the lapels of their spirits and says, be awake, stay alert, pay attention. God is about to do something. The prophets often make us uncomfortable because we kind of like our normalcy. We like just kind of drifting through life. They bring good news, but as it's often said, the good news of God ultimately will set us free, but at first it makes us miserable. John the Baptist does this. About 500 years ago, there was an artist named Matthias Grunewald who depicted Christ in, in, in such a way that 
helped make the people of his day connect with this incarnate one. In one of his pieces, it's called the Isenheim Altarpiece. Have any of you seen this? Okay, this is really worth looking at. I, I spent a, a whole semester at Drew Seminary writing a paper on this particular piece. And when I was living in Germany, I got to make a pilgrimage to where this is uh, displayed in a museum in Isenheim, just across the border from between Germany and France in a town called Colmar. If you ever get a chance to go, it is magnificent. The, the altarpiece itself is, is probably as high as the bottom of that cross and as wide as the Veni Veni Emmanuel. And it is a triptych, so the two um, front pieces actually open up. You can see a line. Well, you, you can't see it in this unless you're really up close, but there's a line that actually separates where Jesus' arm is, where Jesus' right arm is. And when that is opened up, Jesus loses an arm. And then it opens up again. And in, uh, underneath that is a, a beautiful depiction of the resurrection. You can Google it this afternoon. The Jesus of this particular painting, which was commissioned for a hospital, a monastic hospital where Christians who were in the monastic life took in people who were dealing with a terrible disease, likely ergotism. Um, it was called St. Anthony's fire at the time, and people would get blisters all over their body. It was kind of, and ultimately it would take their lives. It was kind of like the AIDS of its day. And if you look closely, you can't see it from there, Jesus on the cross has this disease. And so it was the artist's message to the people in this hospital who had the AIDS of their day, Jesus had the same disease, the same stigma, the same pain, the same death. And that often resulted in uh, limbs being amputated. Thus, when that first window is opened up, Jesus loses an arm. The patient's could identify with this Jesus who came in earthly form to suffer with them. Now, if you notice down in the bottom right, there's a character, and you, can you see his finger pointing at Jesus from where you are? Let's, let's do a zoom up on the next slide. That's John the Baptist. And Matthias Grunewald painted that finger. It's an elongated finger. It is not proportional to his hand. And in that is a message that says, keep focusing on Jesus. Underneath you can see the depiction of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world with a chalice, receiving the blood of the Lamb. This was very important in medieval art. But I want to talk just a little bit about John today because the scripture that Katie read today from the Gospel of John depicts John the baptizer in a conversation with his disciples. His disciples say, hey, Jesus, this guy you said was the one is baptizing people on the other side of the river, and everybody's going to him. Nobody's coming to our endeavor anymore. Is that cool with you, John? And John says, 
This brings me great joy. Joy. Because he is the one. And then he says, I shall decrease. He shall increase. And if you zoom in on the next picture, Miriam, you can see in Latin that phrase, which was read from today's scripture, is right between his finger and his mouth. John is pointing to Jesus and saying, He shall increase. I shall decrease. This is only in the third chapter of the Gospel of John, but this is for mature followers of Jesus. This is not for the early initiated ones. This is for people who are really serious about following Jesus. Because the wisdom of John the Baptist is the message for all of us who are trying to follow Jesus. We shall decrease. He shall increase. That's tough for us. Because what John is saying is for all followers of Jesus, the closer we follow Jesus, Jesus is enlarged and we are diminished. Jesus' agenda takes priority. Our agenda is not as important. Do you know that we actually pray this every Sunday? When we pray the Lord's Prayer, and we say, Thy kingdom come, what we're actually saying is, my kingdoms must go. If we really want thy kingdom of, the kingdom of God to come, that means our kingdoms must go. Did, did you see that the New York Times covered an article about the Lord's Prayer last week? The Pope said, you know it, the translation of the Lord's Prayer could use some work. It, it was originally said in Aramaic. Jesus spoke in Aramaic. It was translated into Greek. It was then translated into Latin. And then it was translated into German and English and various languages. That one line, lead us not into temptation, really is not a good translation. The Pope isn't the first one to say this. People have argued this for hundreds of years. And I think he's right. What kind of God would lead us into temptation? Certainly not the God of Jesus. The God that we learn about from Jesus would not do that. The church in France last week, or no, two weeks ago, the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church in France changed the Lord's Prayer so that it wouldn't say lead us into temptation. I think the phrase was this, do not let us fall into temptation. Do you see the difference? God, don't let us fall into temptation. That makes sense. But what kind of God would lead us actively into temptation? Now, you may be saying, oh, is Jeff thinking of changing the Lord's Prayer here? No, I'm not but it is really worth talking about. 
I think there is value in the language that connects us to our mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers in the faith. But when we pray that, thy kingdom come, know that we're really saying, my kingdoms must go. And ultimately, that will bring us joy. This third Sunday of Advent, we light the rose-colored candle, the candle of joy, in the midst of this season of repentance, of preparation, we are reminded God is in our midst already. And that is worth being joyful. But joy is different than happiness. Joy is deeper than happiness. Happiness happens when things are going well. Haphazard. Happenstance. Happiness. Do you see the connection? Joy comes from knowing that our kingdoms pale in comparison to God's kingdom. Joy comes from knowing that no matter what people say about us, God is love. God is with us. No matter what crisis we're going through, joy comes from knowing that God is there in the midst of the crisis in the midst of the health concern, in the midst of the failures, in the midst of the humiliations, in the midst of the pain, God is with us. And with that comes the potential of deep and abiding joy. So this week, if we don't know what else to pray, let's pray for joy for ourselves. Joy for our neighbors. Joy for our family members. Joy for people we see in our lives who are going through stress. And we can silently say, God, bless them with even moments of joy. By the way, I think that may be a good start to know there are moments. It is not always sustained, but moments of joy that can get us through. Would you pray with me, dear God, bring us joy, bring them joy, bring the whole world moments of joy. We pray in Christ, amen.